You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the all-star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. It's time for another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. We got some legends for you here. Tim Kirchin from ESPN, Bob Kendrick, who is the president of the Negro League Museum, and Mark Bradley, who covers the Braves for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. We're talking a lot about arguably the greatest player of all time, Hank Aaron. What a player he was. The numbers speak for themselves. Such a gentleman. uh, So great for the game of baseball. He is going to be missed. And we'll lead it off with Tim Kirchin. Tim, it's been a while since we last spoke. I hope you're hanging in there. Uh, yeah, I'm doing fine. You know, relatively, this is the way the world works these days. We're still waiting on important issues in the country and in baseball. And uh, I'd just like to know a few more concrete answers at this point. And we don't have them yet, but I'm willing to wait. It's uh, time for patience, that's for sure. You know, with all the broadcasting you do, along with all the great writing, I mean, I think of all the travel you've done in your career. What has this, like, last year been like for you where you're not hanging out in airports and hotels? Well, I haven't been on an airplane since March, which is amazing since I live in a – I have a terminal in my basement because that's how often I used to travel. But I only now drive anywhere. Because I, w- I went to Bristol, Connecticut, to the main studio, 350 miles. I drive it all the time. But uh, it was the weirdest summer ever, spring, summer, fall, everything. And I hope I never have to relive that. I hope everything gets better in this country and we get to cover games from ballparks and I get to go into clubhouses and talk to players. But I didn't get to do any of that. I broadcast games from home. And from the studio in Bristol, I rode from home, and it was not <laughs> it was not an enjoyable experience. It was uh, exhausting for everyone involved, but I'm still just thrilled that we got through uh, the 2020 Major League season. And I'm hoping, of course, for better things, more games, more access in 2021. You know, I, you're one of the great historians of our game, and it's just been so sad all the Hall of Famers we have lost in, in such recent times, you know, dating back to 2019 to where we are today, uh, excuse me, 2020 and where we are today in 2021. Just to reflect on, you know, some of the, we have lost some of the greatest players who have ever played this game. Yeah, after Joe Morgan died, I called Johnny Bench and Johnny said to me, how much more gut wrenching can we get? And since then, Don Sutton died, Tommy Lasorda died, and Henry Aaron died. Uh, Look, I'm 64 years old. These guys were my childhood. They were our guys. They taught us how to play. And I've got to know every one of these guys who's died in the last 11 to 13 months. And it has been 
heartbreaking to watch this happen. And the Hank Aaron one was especially difficult. They all were, but I really got to know Hank Aaron. I got four innings next to him at a game that we did in 2018 in Atlanta. And to be that engaged with Henry Aaron for an hour and a half, he was so funny. He was so kind. He was so gentle. He told the best stories ever. And the thought that that's all gone, it's just a terrible, terrible thought. And baseball has lost immortals almost every month for the last year. Yeah, one thing I heard this story, and, and I've never really thought about because I got to interview him one time. And it was so special, you know, to have 15 minutes with him. And I, I think you could make a case he is the greatest player of all time. But what I didn't realize is that when the, the Braves moved down to Atlanta and how that was like really the first time in the South where sporting events brought, you know, African-Americans and Caucasians and men and women all together in the same place to watch baseball and they all went to watch one guy and that was the guy Henry Aaron so you think about what Jackie Robinson and Larry Doby what they did for baseball you can you can look back at the impact that Hank Aaron had in the south when he went down there for the Braves and helped have so many people come together and watch baseball I mean, absolutely. Jackie Robinson was the number one baseball player, of course, when it came to civil rights. But you could make a strong case that Henry Aaron was second on that list because, not just because he was such a great player and how he helped integrate the South, but he broke a record held by an iconic player, a legendary player. And the way that Hank Aaron carried himself through that chase was just the most dignified thing you'll ever see. And in all my talks with him in retirement, you know, that would come up here and there. And I never, I never saw any bitterness or anger from him about that. Clearly it was a terrible time in his life. Clearly he will never forget that, but he didn't carry it around with him. He was such a kind soul right to the end. And I think that's the lesson that was learned from Henry Aaron is that uh, you have to move on. And he certainly did. You know, when you start thinking about this season, um, you know, there's now been a request by the Cactus League maybe to delay it. You know, what's tough about baseball, and I don't know how you feel about it. It just seems every single time I hear people are talking about delays And then we're looking at all the other sports, and they're full steam ahead. We just had the conference title games. There's people in the stands. We're going to have a Super Bowl. We got the NBA going. We got hockey going. I mean, we've got the Arizona Coyotes playing hockey down in Arizona right now with fans in the stands. Our San Jose Sharks are down in Arizona playing. It's just, why is baseball so in delay mode while all the other sports aren't? Well, that's a really good question. And baseball certainly has a lot of teams and a lot of players and a lot of moving parts here. And there's more time spent together as baseball players than the other sports, essentially because of the length of the season and the number of the games. But I'm just hoping that even though, uh, you know, the, the representatives in Arizona have every right to say maybe this is not a great idea. 
it's not over yet as far as the delay goes. This is something that needs to be discussed time and time again. So let's, I still think there's hope that we will start on time, but, you know, health has to, has to come first here. And let's face it, it hasn't exactly been a smooth NBA season so far with, with COVID and delays and canceled games and everything else. And baseball is trying to just make it as smooth as possible. But I just don't know how it's going to be as smooth as possible, given all the roadblocks in the way. Yeah, we have so many free agents that are still out there. What do you think? I mean, I I know you're talking to a lot of people. What is it like for all these guys as, you know, before you know it, we're going to be in February and there are a ton of free agents, good ball players that can help your team win who don't have jobs. Yeah, this is a really bad time for free agents. You know, so many of these guys pointed towards the offseason of 2020, 2021 here and thought, well, I'm, you know, I'm finally going to get paid. My six years are in. I'm going to become a free agent. I can pick my own team now. This is what the rules were set for. And now they're just not going to get what they were looking for. And now a bunch of them are just going to be looking for a job because of what happened in 2020. And I'm not, I mean, I can actually see for once the owner side on this, that they lost so much money in 2020 that there isn't going to be that much money left for free agents in 2021. And even premium free agents, Trevor Bauer, JT Muto, Marcelo Zuna, we still haven't seen where those guys are going. And it's getting awfully late here. So it's going to be a, a very dysfunctional spring training, even if we start on time, because players are going to be coming and going and we're not going to know who's where because of so many unsigned players. I just hope we start on time and I hope there's a flurry of signings before then, but I'm not sure about either one of those happening. You know, every single year we as the athletics go into the off season and we got to hear about every other team, you know, no one's picking the A's to go to the postseason. I saw an article today. Oh, look out. The Mariners could win the West. Oh, look out for the ass. Why is it here? You have the A's win the West last year. The two years prior to that, they won 97 games each year, but always in the offseason. No one wants to talk about the A's, but all of a sudden we get into season. The A's are battling. People go, wow, they're doing it again. Why does that shock people every year? They're the team to beat in the West, period. The Mariners are not in the same class as the A's are right now. The Astros are pretty good, um, but I just, and the Angels have a chance to get better, but the A's are the class of the division. But anytime you're a small market team, you potentially could lose a free agent like Marcus Simeon. People are going to look and say, well, you know, small markets, they can't sustain. And yet when you run as well as the A's are and you have this many good young players and you have a manager like Bob Melvin and a front office like they have, they know exactly what they're doing. So I'm not in that camp that uh, we're not paying attention to the A's. They are the clear favorite to me in the West. When you look going into this season, I, you know, there's always going to be storylines and we're a little bit away, but for you, other than COVID and getting back on the field and everybody being healthy, what, 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 what's the storyline out there that you're really looking forward to in 2021? 
Well, I just love what some of these teams have done in the offseason, teams that have been aggressive, just how much better they're going to be. The White Sox, for instance, have a chance to be demonstrably better than last year, and they made the playoffs last year, and they were a pretty good team. Padres were a pretty good team last year, and they are a much better team so far, given what they've done in this offseason. Um, the Nationals have made four really important moves. Some of them a bit under the radar, but I think they're much improved. And obviously, I can't wait to see what Francisco Lindor does for the Mets because he's exactly what they needed, and they're going to be much better. And I don't think they're done with all of their dealing far from it. So I, I think that will be the real fascinating part about spring training is how much better will those teams be? How much better will the Blue Jays be with George Springer in center field and some of the other moves that they made? So a bunch of new teams, all of whom have had success and now got better. Uh, it should be real interesting to see how those four or five clubs really go. I don't know if you know the answer to this. Uh, we've all been looking forward, forward to uh, hearing this, and we'll make this the last question. But it is so odd. Here we are in late January, January 25th. We don't know the roster size. We don't know if there's going to be DH in both leagues. I mean, there's still – I mean, it's got to be so tough for front offices to try and figure out your roster when you don't know the rules. When – do you have any idea when we may have concrete, all right, this is how we're going to play the 2021 season? No, I don't. And it's really <laughs> confusing for all of us. Now, today, uh, a proposal to expand the playoffs and – Add a universal DH was rejected by the union because the union doesn't want to connect those two dynamics. And therefore, that's not a good sign for the universal DH to go in in 2021 or the expanded playoffs. So we're back to the negotiating room on that. And at this point, I'm not encouraged about either one of those. But this is the real tricky part. You're right. The club is trying to put its team together. How many guys do we have, 25 or 28? Do we have a DH or not? And, you know, what are we doing with all these free agents? And when do we start? And how many games are we going to play? Let's not forget, even though last year was the strangest year ever, we were making up things on the fly. They announced expanded playoffs after the season began. That's unheard of. So let's hope we get some finality to a bunch of issues in the next three weeks, but things are moving very slowly and certainly not in the right direction. Great stuff as always. You know what a big fan we are, and I can't wait to see you at a ballpark on my television. I think that's when we're all going to know normal is getting closer. Thank you so much for your time, and let's talk soon and be safe. My pleasure. Stay safe also. Thank you. Can't wait to get Tim Kirchin back in the booth and start watching some baseball again uh, and watching it on ESPN. Bob Kendrick joins us once again. He's the president of the Negro League Museum and was a huge Hank Aaron fan growing up. Well, if you ever get a chance to go to Kansas City, you know, we think of Kansas City as barbecue, but it's a great museum town. And if you're watching the AFC title game last night, they had a great shot of the World War I Museum, which is fabulous. 
but obviously the Negro League Baseball Museum is second to none and right next door to it, kind of in the same building as the Jazz Museum. It's so special. Bob Kendrick joins us once again, president of the Negro League Museum. Bob, thank you for taking the time once again to join us here on A's Cast Live. Man, it's my absolute pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, I, I try to tell people all the time, I, I know we think of barbecue, but Kansas City is a great museum town. Well, it really is, and we think the best of those museums is the Negro League Baseball Museum. Now, obviously, I'm biased, but it is such a special place, and I oftentimes refer to the museum as Kansas City's gift to the rest of the world, because that's exactly what it is. It's a national museum that's headquartered in Kansas City. You know, the good thing about a museum is when you can just get in there and get lost and be there for hours. And that's, you know, the two times that I've been to your museum, that was the case. There's just, there's so much to learn. There's so much history. uh, And just to read everything and to see everything is so special. And, And to think that, you know, you have a museum that really people come from all over the world to see. No, and that's that's something that we get genuinely excited about. That's exactly what we hoped would happen when we started this museum now a little over 30 years ago in a tiny one-room office in 1990. And we felt all along, though, that we had something that was pretty special to share, a precious piece of baseball and Americana that had sadly escaped us. And so when people visit the museum, guys, it is almost an awakening. You are being privy to a story that most folks did not know. It's not in the pages of American history books. So countless generations of us have gone through our own formal educations without knowing one of the most significant chapters, not in baseball history, but in American history. And and so when people come here, you can imagine they are amazed by what they learn. But if we quite frank, they leave a little bit dismayed by the fact that I just now had an opportunity to learn it. Why didn't I know this when I was in school? And, and really, the fact of the matter is, American historians did us all a tremendous disservice. They kept this wonderful piece of baseball and Americana away from us, but we're excited to be bringing that story to life now. And the fact that so many have continued to react so favorably as they've been introduced to this story. And the fact that Major League Baseball is now really starting to accept uh, the history of the Negro Leagues more and more when you're talking about integrating stats and everything, I got to think all of that is just great for the museum going forward long term, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. You know, I was joking half-heartedly that when Major League Baseball made the historic announcement in the middle of December of last year, they did in one day what the Negro League Museum has been trying to do in almost 30 years, and that is to rewrite the pages of American history book. Now, albeit it started with them rewriting their own history, but I think most of us will agree. If you know the history of baseball, you pretty well know the history of this country, and the Negro Leagues are an important part of the history of this country. And, and so, yeah, it has absolutely generated additional interest in the subject matter. It drew tremendous reaction from baseball fans universally. And and so I think now makes the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum 
even more important. You know, one thing that I learned that, I mean, obviously I, I, I wasn't born, uh, but I learned about the past and learned about the Negro League Museum. I mean, uh, about the Negro Leagues at the Negro League Museum is how successful the league was. You're talking sold out crowds. You're talking great fan bases. You're talking rivalries. You're talking great players. You're talking about, you know, the majority of the people that worked in the stadium were African-Americans. That The league was a huge success at one point. Oh, absolutely. It just, it, it mirrored Major League Baseball. And, and so it's difficult sometimes for us to accept and understand the two professional baseball leagues operating simultaneously to one of them. And I think for most baseball fans, the belief is, well, if it didn't happen in the leagues, then it never have happened. And we're here to tell you that it in all they were playing in many of the same stadiums that major league teams owned, and they were filling up those ballparks. And in a lot of instances, they were outdrawing the major league teams that owned those stadiums. And so this was the third largest Black-owned business enterprise in this country during that era of, of American segregation. And so and where you had successful Black baseball, you typically had thriving Black economies. So the impact of the Negro Leagues reverberated as well. You know, so sad we lost truly one of the great players, if not the greatest player of all time, in Hank Aaron. Um, you know, what a man, the integrity, what he did uh, for the game of baseball, not only as a player, but what he did away from the field. And, and there's been a great story out there about how when the Braves moved from Milwaukee to Atlanta, how really going to Atlanta Braves games where you basically had white people and black people coming together in a stadium to watch an event. And really everybody was there to see one guy. And that's the great Hank Aaron as <laughs> Hank Aaron helped people heal. I mean, it's so sad that we lost him and it's very sad, but also we need to celebrate his life. I believe he, he started with the Indianapolis clowns, uh, what, what an individual, what a special person. I mean, it's not necessarily Jackie Robinson, but it's pretty close to what he did for not only baseball, but what he did for society and communities. Yeah, it's not that far from Jackie Robinson. I can tell you that. And my heart is heavy. You know, when I got the unexpected news on Friday, and of course it set off a, a reactionary call to action as we were fielding media, really even up until this point, you know, with the news of Mr. Aaron's passing. He was my childhood idol, my all-time favorite Major League Baseball player. And you're right, that illustrious professional career began in the Negro Leagues, 1952. A skinny, cross-handed hitting shortstop left Mobile, Alabama to embark on a journey that would ultimately change this game. And his name was Henry Aaron. And when he gets to the clowns, and for those who may not be familiar with that whole cross-handed term, he was a right-hand hitter. He was hitting with his left hand on top. And as you well know, that's unorthodox. The fear is actually that you work your wrist hitting in that manner. Well, Henry Aaron is knocking the cover off the baseball in a highly unorthodox fashion. When he gets to the clown, they put the right hand on top, and the rest, as they say, is history. He was shortly after discovered by the Boston Braves, who would become the Milwaukee Braves, who, of course, would become the Atlanta Braves. He'll go down in his sport as one of his all-time greatest players, and for this kid from Crawfordville, Georgia, he is the greatest baseball player to ever play this game. 
at least in the eyes and mind and heart uh, of this kid from Georgia. But when you look at, and you know, this is a game of numbers. And when you look at the numbers, no one's numbers are better than Henry Aaron. Yeah, his total base record will never be broken. It's highly unlikely that his RBI record will be broken. If you take away all 755 home runs that he hit, he would still have over 3,000 hits. He was a clutch hitter, so the bigger the stage, the better he played. He was a great defensive outfielder. He just played a corner outfield, but he always threw to the right base. He always made the right play. He could steal bases. I saw something the other day that he has more home runs against Hall of Fame pitchers than anyone in baseball history. He was a 25-time All-Star. You know, so, yeah, I think you can make a legitimate case that he may be the greatest baseball player this game has ever seen. And, and we're so proud that his roots began in the Negro Leagues. Yeah, we were looking up, like, his numbers against the greatest pitchers. He had a 362 career average against Sandy Koufax. I mean, that's <laughs> like, wow. And the whole cross-handed thing, I want people to pick up a baseball bat. If you're a right-hander, put your right hand on the bottom and your left hand on top and try and swing. I still can't even fathom how he hit cross-handed. No, it, it, it's difficult for any, but, you know, he he attributed his wrist being so strong. And you go back and look, he had some of the strongest wrists this game has ever seen. You know, and he attributes that his father used to deliver blocks of ice. And he said he used to help his dad. And, you know, they've got these blocks of ice on the tongs. And he would carry those blocks of ice up all these flights of stairs, and it helped develop, develop his, the strength in his wrist. And the hand-eye coordination, he used to hit bottle caps with a broomstick. Now, think about that. You hit a bottle cap with a broomstick, chances are you're going to be able to hit a baseball. And he had the quickest hands that I think I've ever seen in this sport. You know, his hands through the hitting zone were just absolutely tremendous. And it really, literally looked like he could just flick his wrist and hit the ball out the ballpark. You know, that's what was so astounding. And I remember he was quoted as saying, I never looked for a fastball. Now, that's against the book. Most people say, sit on the fastball, react to the breaking pitch, but not Henry Aaron. Henry Aaron says, I never looked for a fastball because I didn't think anybody could get one by me. <laughs> it is a great line. <laughs> it is a great line. And I'm trying to figure out, Back in the day, what was in the water in Mobile, Alabama, when you got Henry Aaron, Willie McCovey, Billy Williams, Satchel Paige, Ozzie Smith? I, I, I don't know what was happening down in Mobile, Alabama, but isn't it amazing the amount of great players from that small town, how many guys came out of there? Oh, man, and those are just the Hall of Famers. You know, they're the second-tier guys like Ted Double Duty Ratcliffe and Amos Otis and Cleon Jones and Tommy Agee that all come from that area. I don't know what they were putting in the water either, but I surely want some of it. <laughs> I mean, when I heard that list, I was just like, because, I mean, it's not like we're talking about Los Angeles, right? A huge oh, no. population. I mean, we're talking about Mobile, Alabama, especially back then. Uh, and, and, you know, for certain guys, I mean, obviously it was very different from Willie Mays. Willie Mays going from New York to San Francisco. I mean, Henry Aaron went back down to the South, and he dealt with some really tough stuff, and 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 it was horrific. But you know, you, 
Only a special individual would be able to survive that and thrive. And Henry Aaron, speak to that, did exactly that. He really did. And I don't know if it's even possible for us to fathom what that had to be like. We're talking about nearly a million pieces of hate mail as he was making this ascent on Babe Ruth's record. We're talking death threats. And this is 27 years removed from Jackie Robinson breaking Major League Baseball's color barrier. 27 years. And Henry Aaron is subjected to the same level of hatred and vitriol that welcomed Jackie Robinson into the Major League. And there were no idle death threats, particularly for a black man in the Deep South. So you had to take this stuff seriously. So he's, in, he's isolated. His family is in hiding because there were threats that they would be kidnapped and killed. All because this black man in the Deep South had the audacity to be on the verge of breaking this iconic white baseball player's record. A record that no one really thought would ever be broken, but particularly that a black man would be the one that was doing it. And somehow he willed himself to stay locked in and, and handle the task at hand. But it saddens me to some extent because he should have been able to celebrate that milestone accomplishment. And instead of celebration, it was more like relief. You know, it was more like, okay, now maybe they'll leave me alone now. And it literally took him almost 25 years later before he could finally exhale and celebrate what is one of the greatest accomplishments in sports history. And so, yeah, his place in this game is forever etched. There's no question about it. But Henry Aaron, a human being, supersedes Henry Aaron, the great legendary ball player. Henry Aaron is a civil rights icon. He was a philanthropist, a humanitarian, a, an astute businessman. And he always kept at the forefront of his existence this, this burning desire to help life, you know, to help move people forward, particularly those who have been marginalized in this country in their quest for equality. That stayed with him. And so, yes, baseball gave him a premise on a platform, but then he took that and took it to a whole nother level. Yeah, I mean, we've learned some interesting things about him, like when Time Warner uh, took over and, and and buying from Ted Turner that end up uh, Henry Aaron ended up being on the board. I mean, this guy, his career, and I think one of the great things too about Henry Aaron is the fact that he stayed in baseball. Uh, he oversaw the Braves minor league system, and to think about all the young ball players that he mentored all those years, and you think if you're a minor league player. And there's Henry Aaron, and that's the guy you 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 you, you get to <laughs> train. Can you imagine being a minor leaguer for the for for the Braves, and you get to talk to Henry Aaron about a career in hitting? Yeah, I can't even imagine because I hope they weren't like me the first time I met him. I was starstruck, you know. I, and and he's the only person I've ever been starstruck around. And we've had two American presidents visit this museum. We've had first ladies of these United States tour this museum. We've had legendary dignitaries like General Colin Powell, a plethora of great athletes and entertainers tour this museum. And Henry Aaron is the only person I've ever been starstruck by. 
And as I oftentimes say, with no disrespect to any of them, they're not Henry Aaron in the eyes, mind, and heart of this kid from Crawfordville, Georgia. And, and so I hope they weren't like me and they actually got a chance to pick his brain. <laughs> you know, what was that like? Because we know down in the Deep South, football's, you know, football's king. Like in Georgia, it's the University of Georgia. It's Georgia Tech. They've been playing football forever down there. And college football's been king. What was it like? When the Braves first showed up, and you finally had a prof- you finally had a major league sport. You finally had professional baseball before the Falcons, before the Hawks. What was that like? Well, I, I think for a lot of people, particularly there in Atlanta, it was great excitement to have major league baseball come. And to Bill Bartholomew's credit, who was the owner of the Braves, he did a wonderful job of trying to insulate his black players from some of the ills and pressures of being in the South. And so I don't think Henry was very much enamored with the move from Milwaukee initially because he grew up in the South. So he knew what the South was like. And and so, but Bill Bartholomew did a tremendous job of of trying to insulate his black ball players. And and as you mentioned, Henry Aaron became the guy that people wanted to come see. And Braves fans will always renown Henry Aaron. He's built a legion of fans worldwide, and rightfully so. And, and so this was a tremendous loss. You know, as I mentioned, my heart is still heavy because, again, every time I was around him, I was reduced to this nearly 12-year-old kid who, when he hit home run 715 in Atlanta's Fulton County Stadium, I was circling the bases in my mother's living room right along with him. And she had an old couch that was first base, an old TV that was second base. She had another old couch that was third base, and her recliner was home plate. And as my childhood idol was touching them all, I was touching them all with him. And and so he has a place that is so big in my heart. And right now there's a tremendous void. And we're all, I think all baseball fans are mourning his loss. But like it is with anything else, over time, you kind of cherish those memories that we had. And for me, I got an opportunity to spend time with my childhood idol. And, you know, that's very rare. You know, we we kind of have sports heroes and we rarely ever get to meet them. And then sometimes when we do, they don't live up to what you thought they were going to be. Henry Aaron was everything I thought he was going to be, and then some. And so I feel tremendously blessed to have had the experiences that I've had and gained working here at the Negro League Baseball Museum because it's given me the avenue and the opportunity to meet these incredible people like the late, great Henry Aaron. You know, I got to interview him once. It was early in my career, and I was so nervous. It was a phone interview. (laughs) You know, we called his office there in Atlanta, and I was super nervous. But once you start talking to him, you're not nervous anymore. It was just such a comfortable conversation. Henry Aaron, wouldn't you say, he made you feel comfortable. Well, he did because he was such an engaging superstar. There was nothing standoffish about it. You know, so once you got a chance to to kind of be in his environment, he made you feel at ease, you know, and, and, and the special ones are like that. You know, I saw that all the time with my dear friend, the late great Buck O'Neill, and I saw that with Ernie Banks, and, and I saw that with Monty Irvin, 
and, and, and you know, and others, you know, they just had that innateness about them that they made you comfortable, you know, and, and Henry Aaron had that. And, and for me, you know, after touring him through the Negro Leagues Museum in 1999, I got a chance to sit down with him and we shared a platter of Gates barbecue ribs together. Oof. Now, me and my idol are eating ribs, literally chewing the fat. And, and so it was as special as it gets for me. And every time I would see he and Mrs. Aaron, they would always say, hey, you didn't bring any ribs with you? <laughs> oh, the ribs are the best in the business in Kansas City. I've been to all of them. I, I've gone to all the different places. Whether Kansas City Joe's, you mentioned Gates, you want to talk about uh, – uh, I mean, they're all fat. They're all fabulous. All right, let's end on this. Inside the museum, you're the president of the Negro League Baseball Museum. What's your favorite part of the museum? Well, you know, the field of legends is iconic. And, and I'm biased. I think it's one of the most compelling displays in any museum in, in, anywhere in the world because it features 10 life-size statues of Negro League greats. And as you know, they're anchored in position as if they were playing a game. And they represent 10 of the first group of Negro Leaguers to be inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame at Cooperstown. So that's how we chose our all-star team. And then just outside the field is the late great Buck O'Neill, who is managing this all-star collection of statues. And so basically what we did was we segregate our visitors from the centerpiece of our exhibition. So you can always see the field, but you can't get to it. And so you have to earn that right to take the field, and you do so by learning their story. It is powerful. It is moving. It is inspirational. And when you look in the eyes of those incredible statues, you feel their spirit. And man, there is no question to me, when the dust settles, everybody gone home, you know they throwing that ball around the horn in there. <laughs> Well, I got to tell you, when you finally do get to that field, it's like the photo op of photo ops. I mean, you go in there and everybody's taking pictures with the statues. It's really, really cool. And then you end in the gift shop. And when you go in the gift shop, I got to tell you, you don't leave You don't leave without spending a pretty penny. Like all the hats, you want to get all the hats. The hats are, I mean, uh, you guys did it right. Uh, congratulations. I got to tell you, having been there twice, it's such a special place. And it's great to have you on again. And if there's anything you ever want to promote, uh, please reach out and we'll bring you on and promote because uh, I'm a big fan. And also to let people know when you go there, right across the way is the Jazz Museum and you can buy a ticket, one ticket, and you can get in both. And that's a cool spot. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It celebrates two American cultures, baseball and jazz, and under one roof. And so that is unique to Kansas City. You can't get that experience anywhere else in the country except here in Kansas City. Bob, you are the best. Thank you so much for the time. Be safe, and we'll talk again soon. All right, man. Thank you. I appreciate it, and look forward to seeing you soon. And we'll end with Mark Bradley, who knew Hank Aaron very well. Uh, he covers the Braves for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution as we celebrate truly one of the great players, one of the great people in our game's history. Well, we bring on Mark from Atlanta. Mark, thank you so much for coming on the program as we're honoring truly a great American, a great baseball player, and I know how much he meant to everybody down there in Atlanta. Yeah, I mean, this was... 
this was not something that people um, saw coming. Uh, just not too long ago, uh, we'd had pictures of of Hank Aaron getting uh, getting the uh, virus vaccine, and then today we we hear that Hank Aaron has died at uh, 86. Yeah, I, I said earlier on this program that, you know, there's a lot of people that they talk about their brands and they want to build off what they did and try and make a ton of money. And it's like to me, Hank Aaron, when his career was over, I got to interview him one time. He was a man about helping people and make life better for other people. Talk about his post career and what he was like. Well, he he had, um, you know, he worked with the Braves as a director farm director for uh for many years he uh he also i know he owned car dealerships and uh he you know and he did um lots and lots of charity work he was a he was an active figure in the community uh, you know up until up until today uh you know because you would you would hear about or see hank aaron uh, uh often and uh he uh you know he, he you know, he never moved away from Atlanta. He uh, he stayed here the whole time, and uh, and he was he was one of the real pillars of the city. Yeah, and such a just a special person. Just talk about all the years and your interactions with him. Um, I mean, he was always very gracious. Uh, he he didn't come to very many Braves games. Uh, he he preferred watching games on TV at home. Uh, so it wasn't like you saw him around the batting cage or in the clubhouse a whole lot. Uh, lots of people would run into him uh, earlier in the day. He would work out at uh, in the Braves workout room, and uh, a lot of the guys would look over, and there'd be Hank Aaron, and they'd all be uh, really impressed by seeing by seeing him. And he was, uh, and that was where he he struck up relationships with a lot of the younger Braves. Is is that he saw them in the workout room? That is, that's classic. Like all of a sudden you're walking in there. Like I think about my guy, Josh Donaldson, when he was with the Braves, you walk in and you're working out and you look over and you're next to Hank Karen. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. Oh, you know, uh, the one time I, I I got to interview him, he was so gracious. And you know, when you get the sense when you were talking to him and you're talking to him about his career, it's just, Man, what a special person. You know, we got a lot of different personalities. I don't know how many guys will ever have a personality like that when you look at the greatness of who he was as a player. Yeah, he, um, you know, and, and the weird part, of, I, I'm old enough to remember the, 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 like the second half of his career. And, you know, generally speaking, the, the, you know, you heard a lot about, uh, you heard a lot about Willie Mays and you heard about Mantle and you heard about Roberto Clemente, uh, and, and people like that. But Aaron was kind of a guy that you, you, you knew about, but you didn't really know about him because one of, one of the reasons he was, he played in Milwaukee, uh, which is a small market. And then he came to Atlanta, which was a new market. And uh, he 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 had gone pretty much through the '60s uh, through, uh, without without playing on a team that uh, the you know uh, went to the World Series. There were there were no playoffs until 1969, and then the Braves did make the playoffs in 1969, and they got swept by the Mets. But 
it wasn't until, you know, I think the 70s and the home runs started piling up that people started seeing, going back and looking at the career and seeing all these uh, all these seasons of just such consistency. Uh, you know, he, he just, the, the great stat on Aaron is that you could take away his 755 home runs and he'd still have 3,000 hits. Yeah, that's something we've uh, brought up today, and it's something why I've always said that you can make a case he's the greatest player of all time because he was a terrific right fielder. He was a good base runner. But you take all the home runs, you take all the RBIs, a lot of people don't realize that other than Pete Rose and Ty Cobb, he's third in hits. I mean, it's just right. it's it's mind-blowing when you think about his statistics. And – when you talk about the home run race, I mean, obviously there was that howled mark by Babe Ruth, and it was so sad as he was chasing that. He's getting death threats, but but he went through it, and he broke the record. Talk about what that time was like. Well, I wasn't in Atlanta then. Uh, I was uh, in college, and, but uh, uh, I remember I remember the, that the chase, they had to go over a whole off season because he ended uh, the the 1973 season at 713, and then the, he opened the next uh, season in uh, in Cincinnati, and uh, he he hit a home run off uh, Jack Billingham to make it 714 and to tie Ruth, and there there was a real feeling then that the Braves wanted to keep him out. In fact, he, they took him out of the next game because they wanted him to break the record in Atlanta and they were coming back home after the first weekend series in Cincinnati and, and Bowie Kuhn, the commissioner stepped in and for the integrity of the game, he said that Aaron needed to play in Cincinnati on Sunday and he did and did nine at home run. And then uh, 50,000 people show up on Monday night for a, for a game that's on NBC TV as well. And Kirk Gowdy and, in the house and uh, and uh, second time up, he hits the home run. And Bowie Kuhn isn't there, by the way. He had some sort of speaking engagement in Alatoona or something like that that uh, that uh, Braves fans have never gotten over. But uh, but a lot of other people were there, and it was it was. I mean, you know, it, it is. I would imagine that stands at the city's single greatest sports moment. Well, and it's one of the highest rated non-playoff slash World Series games in the history of baseball, and it rates higher than most ever World Series games. I don't think a lot of people know that. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 was, it was weird to watch. I was watching it on a little TV in my dorm, and, you know, he hits the home run. I think it's in the fourth, the third or fourth inning. And, uh, you know, they, they stop the game. They have a ceremony on the field. He hugs his mom and dad and wife and, and that sort of thing. And then they go back to playing. And then uh, you, if you look, if you keep watching the game, you'll, you'll think that there, the, that there was nobody in the house because everybody left after the home run. Uh, it was like there was, we got what we came to see and, uh, and we saw history and now we're going to go home. But uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it, it, you know, it, it, it was a strange night all the way around. You know, one thing we've talked about today on the program, it's why I want extended playoffs all around is you, you didn't get to see Hank 
that much in the postseason, but when he did, and I think this kind of, you know, it separates certain players. You can put up all the numbers in the regular season, and that's how you become a Hall of Famer, but the icing on the cake is what you did in the postseason, and when Hank got in the postseason and when they knocked off the Yankees and the three times he got in there, he was a monster in the postseason. Yeah, he uh, well, he was a good player. I mean, he, he was, well, that's the understatement of the decade. I mean, he was a great player. He, he, he hit Everybody, he, you know, he, he, uh, you know, he hit home runs, he hit singles, he hit, uh, he didn't strike out. I mean, he was, he was pretty much a perfect ball player. You know, it took a, a while, but all of a sudden the recognition, you know, thank God that he got it. And they made the Hank Aaron award after him for the best offensive player. Uh, he had multiple presidents from president Clinton to president Bush, both honor Hank Aaron. It was like later in life, people really started to understand when you say, Mark, this guy's true greatness and he needs to be honored. I, th- I think that's true. I think there's, there's been, there was a thought on in base uh, that in MLB, perhaps that, that Q- Bowie Kuhn not being here was, was a tremendous fight. I mean, how many bigger records in baseball have ever fallen than that one? And, uh, and, and, and I think that, you, you know, I, I think that the baseball has been trying to make up for that, uh, for many, many years, but, uh, you know, I, I think also that it's, it's one of those things that, you know, this is, this is a guy that when you affix the name Henry Aaron to something, I mean, you're, I mean, that's, that's a very high standard of quality for, for anything, because I mean, he's, you know, he, he was, he was about as good as there ever was. You know, and I think about down in your neck of the woods, when we start talking about college football, whether it's Georgia, Georgia tech, obviously football is big. You got the Falcons, you think about hockey, you think about the NBA and well, we don't think about hockey too much. We, we don't have a <laughs> hockey team anymore. Uh, we, 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 <laughs> we lost it. We lost it. We lost our second NHL team. So we don't, we don't think about hockey much anymore. Yeah, I mean, really, it's college football and a little NFL, and maybe the Hawks will mm-hmm. be good. But, I mean, are, yeah. is Henry Aaron the one thing in base? Because you've had all those great players. You had that great run of winning 14 mm-hmm. straight uh, with the Atlanta Braves winning the East. But is it really Henry Aaron when you think of baseball? He's the staple? Well, he, he was, the he was of course, the, the big name when the Braves came to Atlanta. Uh, and 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 the big name uh, and, and a much bigger name when he, when he retired uh, because uh, because he 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 was the guy who beat the Ruth record uh, but yeah he he's the first guy you think of but uh, you know there have been some other good ones too and and uh, you know uh, Dale Murphy was pretty much the lone star in uh, in the eighties but then the the nineties came along and and you know we we. We've seen three pitchers and Chipper Jones and the manager go into the Hall of Fame. So uh, and and now Andrew Jones is uh, getting uh, he's rising up in the votes uh, there too. So yeah, I mean, the, when you think about a single player, you think about Aaron. But when you think about a team uh, and sustained greatness, I mean, I mean, we you can't beat the fourteen in a row. Well, when we get this thing going. 
obviously, you know, Ron Washington's a good friend of ours, and we talked to Wash. This is a, a very good Atlanta Brave team. They, they, you know, there's a there's a handful of teams that are really going to be in this thing, no matter how many games we play, about who's going to win the World Series, who's not. There's a lot of teams we can tell are not really going for it. But I got to think this will be a year for the Atlanta Braves. Not only have a very good team, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how the Braves honor Hank Aaron this season. Oh, I, I imagine they'll, you know, do a lot of the season will be, you know, I, I would imagine he'd be on the cover of the media guide. I, you know, I, I think that that would, if they still have media guides, they usually do digital ones now. But uh, no, I mean, yeah, that's he's the biggest name in Atlanta Braves history. Yeah, there's just no doubt about that. But they're a good team. I mean, they, they came pretty close to winning the World Series last year. And uh and they've they've made moves in the off season uh, in getting Charlie Morton, especially that uh, they they should be no worse than they were last year, and they and they went to a game seven against the Dodgers in the LCS. Yeah, I think we're all going to say that that NL East is going to be no day at the beach. Yeah, they 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 always keep saying that though. But uh, you know the Braves have won it three years in a row, so uh, um, uh, and the Phillies seem to have regressed and. I don't know what the Mets are doing, uh, and uh, uh, you know the, the the Nationals, of course, won the World Series two years ago. But uh, um, yeah, it, it's it's a hard division, but still the the Braves have the Braves have won it without terrible strain three years running, and and I, I would think they would would certainly be favored to win it again. Do you see what's going on in L.A. very reminiscent very reminiscent of what happened in Atlanta when they won that fourteen straight years? Mm, well, time has changed. Uh, times have changed a great deal. Uh, they, you know, they they're about halfway there, right? They they won seven or eight in a row. They won eight, yeah. Uh, yeah, and and they're um, they're. I mean, they've got lots of money. The Braves at that time had lots of money, believe it or not. Uh, they and the Yankees would in the middle of all that. With they and the Yankees were like one two in spending. That that changed. That has changed a great deal. The Braves are no longer uh, in the top half of baseball in in, in payroll or anything like that. But uh, um, yeah, I mean the Dodgers are really good, and and they've uh, uh, you know uh, they've they've always had you know they they they're they're the standard now, and uh, you know they got their World Championship last year, and you know they're. You have to think that that with uh, the way they they keep turning over the roster and finding value uh, in in lesser known players, uh, you know they're you know they, they you can't say they're not going to go away soon because they it's already been a long time and they haven't not gone away and uh, and they haven't gone away. I mean they're they're this is a, this is sort of a Braves like run, yes, but. Uh, um, you know, at the same time, the Braves did get to 14, which is just obscene when you think about it. In in hindsight, to finish first 14 consecutive uh, completed seasons, uh, and and that and really that's the thing that people in baseball talk about the most when they talk about the Braves of the 90s. They don't they don't talk as much about the one World Series that they won. They talk about the 14 first place finishes and just how hard that was to do. We truly appreciate the time remembering one of the great players of all time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Mark, for coming on. Be safe, and uh, hopefully we can talk during the baseball season. 
That would be great. Thank you for having me. We're never going to forget Hank Aaron. What a great player. And I, as I've mentioned before, I got to interview him once. I was so nervous. But, you know, the way he treats you, all of a sudden you're not nervous anymore. You're just you're just proud that you're able to speak with him because of his legendary career. We want to thank Tim Kirchin, Bob Kendrick, and Mark Bradley for coming on A's Cast Live to remember the great Hank Aaron. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 